Resident Evil, City of the Dead, written by S.T. Perry, narrated and produced by Mike Johnson, read by an ensemble cast. Prologue. Raccoon Times, August 26, 1998. Mayor announces Keep City Safe plan. On the front steps of City Hall, Mayor Harris announced in a press conference yesterday afternoon that the City Council will be hiring at least 10 new police officers to join the Raccoon Police in response to the continued suspension of the Special Tactics and Rescue Service, STARS, in effect since the brutal murders that plagued Raccoon earlier this summer. Joined by Police Chief Brian Irons and all of Raccoon's council members, Harris assured the gathered citizens and reporters that Raccoon City will once again be a safe community in which to live and work. The 11, quote, cannibal murders and three fatal wild animal attacks is far from closed. Just because no one else has been attacked in the last month doesn't mean that the elected officials of this city can relax. Harris stated, The good people of Raccoon deserve to have confidence in their police force and to be secure in the knowledge that their political representatives are doing everything possible to ensure each citizen's safety. As many of you know, the star suspension is likely to become permanent. That unit's gross mishandling of the murder investigations and its subsequent disappearance from Raccoon City suggests that they don't care about this community. But I want to assure you that we care. That myself, Chief Irons, and the men and women you see here today want nothing more than to make Raccoon a place in which our children can grow up without fear. Harris went on to detail a three-point plan designed to bolster public confidence and keep Raccoon citizens from falling victim to violence. Besides hiring between 10 and 12 new police officers, the citywide curfew will remain in place through at least September, and Chief Irons will personally head a task force of several officers and detectives to continue searching for the killers who took the lives of 11 people between May and July of this year. Cityside, September 4th, 1998. Renovation of Umbrella Complex planned. The Umbrella Chemical Plant just south of downtown Raccoon is due for major construction efforts slated to begin next Monday. This will be the third such structural renovation in the last year for the thriving pharmaceutical company. According to Umbrella spokesperson Amanda Whitney, two of the laboratories inside the main plant will be fitted with several million dollars worth of new equipment designed for vaccine synthesis, and the building itself will receive a state-of-the-art security system. In addition, all of the connected office buildings will be upgrading computers over the next several weeks. But will this be a problem for downtown traffic? Said Whitney. With the Raccoon Police Building just finishing up yet another one of their renovations, we know that local commuters are getting pretty tired of blocked streets. We're going to do our best not to get in the way of downtown traffic, but most of the construction is internal, and the rest we'll be doing after business hours. The courtyard in front of the RPD building, our readers may remember, was recently repaved and landscaped after several mysterious cracks appeared in the cement and topsoil. Traffic had to be diverted around two blocks of Oak Street for six days. When asked why so many overhauls as of late, Whitney replied, Umbrella has stayed ahead of the competition for as long as it has by keeping up with current technology. It's going to be a busy couple of months, but I think it'll be well worth the effort when we're finally through. Raccoon Weekly Editorial, September 7th, 1998. Irons to run? Mayor Harris may be in for a rough race next spring. Weekly sources inside the RPD are saying that Brian Irons, chief of police for the last four and a half years, may be running for the city's top office in the next election. Facing off against the popular and as yet unopposed incumbent Mayor Harris, 
already in office for three consecutive terms. Although Irons would not confirm his possible entry into the political arena, the one-time STARS member also refused to deny the rumor. With his approval rating at an all-time high ever since the cessation of this summer's savage murders, as yet unsolved, and the planned expansion of the RPD, Chief Irons may indeed be the man to knock Harris out of City Hall. The question is, will voters be able to forget Irons' alleged involvement in the 1994 Cider District land scam? or his rather expensive tastes in art and interior design, which have turned parts of the RPD building into something more like a museum than a working office. Assuming he means to throw his hat into the ring, this reporter, for one, will be looking forward to examining Iron's financial records. Raccoon Times, September 22, 1998 Teenager attacked in City Park at approximately 6.30 p.m. last night, 14-year-old Shana Williamson was accosted by a mysterious stranger in downtown's Birch Street Park on the way home from softball practice. The man came out from behind a row of hedges at the south end of the park and knocked Miss Williamson off her bicycle before attempting to grab her. The teen managed to get away with only a few scratches, running to the nearby residence of Tom and Clara Atkins. Mrs. Atkins alerted the authorities who conducted a thorough search of the park but found no sign of the attacker. According to the girl, through a police statement issued early this morning, the man appeared to be a transient. His clothes and hair were dirty and she described a bad odor coming from him. A smell like rotting fruit. She also said that he seemed drunk, staggering and falling after her as she ran. With the plague of cannibalistic murders from May to July still unsolved, the RPD is taking Miss Williamson's encounter very seriously. The assailant bears a striking resemblance to eyewitness reports of the gang members spotted in Victory Park last June. Mayor Harris has called a press conference for later today, and Police Chief Brian Irons has stated already that with the first newly hired police officers expected next week, regular patrols will extend their routes to include the downtown park area. Chapter 1 September 26th, 1998 with the guys waiting outside in Barry's truck, Jill did her best to hurry. It wasn't easy. The house had been tossed since the last time she'd been there. The floors were strewn with books and papers, and it was too dark to navigate around the debris easily. That her small home had been violated was upsetting, though not much of a surprise. She figured she should just be thankful that she wasn't really the sentimental type, and that the intruders hadn't managed to find her passport. She grabbed random handfuls of clean socks and underwear in the cramped darkness of the bedroom and stuffed them deep into her weathered backpack, wishing she could turn on the lights. Packing a bag in the dark was harder than it sounded, would be even if one's house hadn't been trashed, but she knew they couldn't afford to take any chances. It was unlikely that Umbrella still had all of their houses staked out, but if there was anyone watching, a light in the window could draw fire. At least you're getting out. No more hiding. There was that much. They were headed for foreign soil to storm enemy headquarters and very likely get killed in the process, but at least she wouldn't have to hang out in Raccoon anymore. And from what she'd read in the papers lately, maybe that was for the best. Two attacks in the last week. Chris and Barry were skeptical about the danger, even knowing what the T-Virus did to people. Barry thought it was some kind of a PR stunt. That Umbrella would rescue Raccoon before anyone got hurt. Chris agreed, insisting that Umbrella wouldn't crap in their own backyard, so to speak. What would the Spencer estate disaster so recent? But Jill wasn't prepared to assume anything. Umbrella had already proven that they couldn't contain their research, and with what Rebecca and David Trapp's team had faced in Maine. 
Now wasn't the time to think about that. They had a plane to catch. Jill scooped the flashlight off the dresser and was about to head for the living room when she remembered that she only had one bra with her. Scowling, she turned back to the open drawers and started to dig. She had enough clothing already, chosen from what Brad had left behind when he fled Raccoon. She and the guys had been holed up in his vacant house for several weeks, ever since Umbrella had hit Barry's house. And although none of Brad's stuff fit Chris's tall frame or Barry's massive one, she'd been able to make do. Lingerie, however, wasn't something the star's pilot had stocked up on. She didn't particularly want to hop off the plane in Austria and have to go bra shopping. Vanity, thy name is Underwire. She muttered softly, pawing through the rumpled heap. She found the elusive article only after she'd gone through the drawer twice and crammed it into the bag as she jogged toward the small front room of the rented house. It was only the second time she'd been there since they'd gone into hiding. She had the feeling she might not be coming back for a while. There was a picture of her father on one of the bookshelves that she wanted to take. Stepping nimbly through the dark clutter, she hooded the flashlight with one hand and trained the narrow beam at the corner where the shelf had been. The Umbrella team had knocked the whole thing over, but apparently hadn't bothered to go through the books themselves. God only knew what they'd been looking for in the first place. Clues as to where the renegade stars were hiding, probably. After the attack at Barry's house and the disastrous mission at Caliban Cove, she no longer had any illusions about Umbrella simply ignoring them. Jill spotted the book she wanted, a rather lurid-looking paperback entitled Prison Life. Her father would have laughed. She picked it up and rifled through the pages, stopping when the light fell across Dick Valentine's crooked grin. He'd sent the picture along with one of his more recent letters, and she'd tucked it into the book so that she wouldn't lose it. Hiding important things was a habit she'd gotten into young, one that had just paid off yet again. She let the book drop, the need to hurry suddenly forgotten as she gazed down at the photo. A faint smile played across her lips. He was probably the only man she knew of who looked good in the bright orange jumpsuit of a maximum security pen. For just a moment, she wondered what he'd think of her current predicament. In a roundabout way, he was responsible at least for getting her involved with the stars in the first place. After he'd been sent up, he'd urged her to get out of the business, even saying that he'd been wrong to train her as a thief. So I take a legit job, actually working for society instead of against it, and people in Raccoon start dying. The stars uncover a conspiracy to create bioweapons with a virus that turns living things into monsters. Obviously nobody believes us. The stars that can't be bought by Umbrella are either discredited or eliminated. So we go underground, try to dig up proof and come up empty-handed as Umbrella continues to screw around with her dangerous research and more good people are killed. Now we're off on what will probably be a suicide mission to Europe to see if we can infiltrate the headquarters of a multi-billion dollar corporation and stop them from destroying the goddamn planet. What would you think, I wonder? Assuming you'd even believe such a fantastic tale. What would you think? You'd be proud of me, Dick. She whispered, scarcely aware that she'd spoken at all, and not at all sure if it was the truth. Her father wanted to see her in a less perilous line of work, and compared to what she and the other ex-stars were currently up against, burglary was about as dangerous as accounting. After a long moment, she carefully placed the photo into a pocket of the backpack and looked around at the broken remnants of her small home, still thinking about her father and wondering what he'd say about the strange path her life had taken. If things went well, maybe she'd be able to ask him in person. Rebecca Chambers and the other survivors of the main mission were still in hiding, 
quietly networking through the STARS organization for support and waiting to hear what she and Chris and Barry could tell them about Umbrella's HQ. The official headquarters was in Austria, although they all suspected that the minds behind the T-Virus had their own secret complex elsewhere. Which you won't find out if you don't get your ass in gear. The guys are going to think you stopped to take a nap. Jill shouldered the bag and took a final look around the room before moving toward the back door through the kitchen. There was a lingering scent of rotten fruit in the dark air coming from a bowl of apples and pears on top of the refrigerator that had long since disintegrated into mush. Even though she knew better, the smell caused a chill to run up her spine. She hurried for the closed door, trying to block out the sudden vivid memories of what they'd found at the Spencer estate. Rotting as they walked, reaching out with wet and withered fingers, faces melting with pus and decay. Jill. She barely contained a cry of surprise at the sound of Chris's soft voice from just outside. The door opened, Chris silhouetted against the darkness by a distant streetlight. Yeah, right here. She said, stepping forward. Sorry it took me so long. Umbrella's been through here with a bulldozer. Even in the bare light, she could see the half-grin on his boyish face. We were starting to think the zombies got you. He said, and although his tone was light, she could hear the real concern in his voice. Jill knew that he was just trying to ease the tension, but couldn't find it in herself to smile back. Too many people had died because of what Umbrella had unleashed in the woods outside of Raccoon. If the spill had happened closer to town. Not funny. She said softly. Chris's grin faded. I know. You ready? Jill nodded although she didn't feel particularly ready for what lay ahead. Then again, she hadn't felt ready for what they were leaving behind either. In a matter of weeks, her concept of reality had undergone a massive shift, turning nightmares into the commonplace. Evil corporations, mad scientists, killer viruses, and the walking dead. Yeah. She said finally. I'm ready. Together, they stepped outside. As Jill closed the door behind them, she was suddenly struck by a strange and ominous certainty that she would never set foot in the house again, that the three of them wouldn't be coming back to Raccoon City at all. But not because anything happens to us. Something will happen, but not to us. Frowning, hand on the doorknob, she hesitated for a moment and tried to make sense of the bizarre thought. If they survived the recon, if they were successful in their fight against Umbrella, why wouldn't they come back to their homes? She didn't know, but the feeling was uncomfortably strong. Something bad was going to happen. Something. Hey, you okay? Jill looked up at Chris, saw the same concern on his youthful face that she'd noticed earlier. They'd gotten pretty close in the last few weeks, although she suspected that Chris might like to get a bit closer. Oh, and you don't? The sense of impending unpleasantness was already fading other confusions and uncertainties stepping in to take its place. Jill shook herself mentally and nodded at Chris, letting the feelings go. The flight to New York wasn't going to wait for her to indulge in self-analysis or to worry about things that she couldn't control, imagined or otherwise. Still, that feeling. Let's get the hell out of here, she said, and meant it. They moved out into the night, leaving the house dark behind them as lonely and silent as a tomb.